Welcome to Dragon Talk, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. As everyone listening here knows, I'm Greg Tito. Yeah, you are. That's right. That's right. And I'm Shelly Mazanoble. That's right. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Damn. We are owning our identities today. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we are who we are. Yeah. Uh, much like Tasha. Owns who she is. She sure does, as evidenced by a very funny tw- Twitter takeover <laughs> on release day last Tuesday. Tasha, man, she is sassy. She has catty to the to, to <laughs> with the most feline way, in the best possible way. And if yes. you want to know all about Tasha's sassiness and cattiness, you can know why, yeah. Greg. Why? Because Tasha's Cauldron of Everything is available for you all, including many people in the European Union. Yay! And the UK, because we had previously said that uh, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything would not be available in retail until December 1st, but then we worked extremely hard, me and Shelly specifically. Yes. Packing uh, boxes. To make sure that you would get it a week earlier than that delay. And so most of you should have it in hands now uh, for this Tuesday. And that's very exciting. It is. Wonderful witchery indeed. So many subclasses, magic items, artifacts, uh, spells, great DMs content like yeah. uh, the group patrons. The puzzle section is my personal favorite. Uh, the magical, mystical, fantastical uh environments section it's mm-hmm. just chock full of stuff yes and sidekicks those are my favorite Ooh, real excited about them i like those too yeah and if you you said you like puzzles well did you know that there's a bonus puzzle in the latest issue of dragon plus i did not know that that's so yes cool. there is a bonus puzzle just for being great so yeah, if you're great great Go get your uh, Dragon Plus issue, download it, and uh, or go to the dragonmag.com and find that bonus puzzle as well as other great content. And look at that beautiful cover on there Ooh. as well. Also in Dragon Plus is a link and a way for you to check out the holiday gift guide for Dungeons & Dragons fans on your list. Maybe that is just you on, yeah. on that list. You can uh, be but- your favorite. You can, and you can get all types of great stuff. Obviously, you know, the D&D products that come out of Wizards of the Coast are top of the list, but there is <laughs> apparel, there is uh, There's a Tumblr. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, like it. minis, there are really cool like, journals for like world building. I mean, there was throw pillows. Throw pillows. Sheets. Adorable figurines of of cuteness. (laughs) That's not what they're called at all. Adorableness, adorable power. Um, So much good stuff. Really, check out Dragon Plus if you haven't already. It's on uh, your phone. You can get it on iOS or Android, but of course you can access it on dragonmag.com. Also, I just that's a great transition into who our guest is for this episode of Dragon Talk. Track. Draconiques. Yes. Yes. Some might even refer to him as Draconiques Plus. 
Well, they fantastic. might after this interview. Yes, fantastic role player uh, and uh, new aficionado of Dungeons and Dragons. It was so great to uh, hear him discuss all the fun stuff that he's been discovering. And uh, I can't wait for him to get into Tasha's Cauldron of Everything because there's a lot even more to play with. Yep, mind blowing. Uh, so we'll get to that in a little bit. There is, of course, other fun stuff that you should know about for Dungeons and Dragons fans, which is a couple of fun holiday. Oh my gosh! Live stream games. How fun is this going to be? Uh, starting on November twenty seventh, we have got holiday themed D and D games rolling out every week. Um, starting with a wonderful group of. Uh, UK um, content creators, um, gamers, streamers, and they are, are having a a merry old time playing oh. through a D&D adventure that you may find a little bit familiar. I'm not going to spoil anything, but uh, definitely check that out. That'll be airing on the Dungeons & Dragons YouTube channel um, starting on November 27th at 9 a.m. So if you're just, you know, you got some time off, maybe it's the day after Thanksgiving in the U.S. Maybe you want to curl up with a turkey and cranberry sandwich and just watch some people having a really fun time with D&D. Do it. That's awesome. Yes. Um, there is. And then after that, on December 4th, we have Comic Relief playing D&D again. Yay! Yes. They came back for, for another round, um, another great opportunity to, to raise some funds, but also be highly entertained by these wonderful comedians playing Dungeons and Dragons. And then if you like funny people playing D&D, then you're going to love December 11th. We have another group of comedians playing through uh, another great holiday-themed adventure. Um, and all of these details are, are, of course, on our website. But um, also that weekend on December 12th, Acquisitions, Inc. is reuniting uh. for a very special holiday adventure helmed by Jeremy Crawford. So That's great. I talked to him a little bit about this, and he said, oh, my God, I'm so excited. We're going to bleep and bleep and bleep, bleep, bleep. Oh, and what about so the fun. bleep? There's yes. also that involved. Don't <laughs> forget that. Yep, yep. So... So much good stuff. Who is going to um, be playing with Jeremy? Do we have, you know, the, the, the cast... Uh, yeah, we've got, uh, obviously Mike and Jerry from Penny Arcade, Anna Prosser, Holly Conrad, and WWE superstar Xavier Woods. Wow. The full full Nelson there. That's great. Oh my gosh. So, so much good stuff. So plenty to entertain you this holiday season. Curl up with a fuzzy blanket and some nog. Yeah. Hopefully poured from Tasha's cauldron uh, that you can have. It'll be mm, mystical, cauldron, magical nog. nog. Yeah, that's that is the best kind of nog. Is the, is that nog in Heroes Feast? If not, uh, we're gonna have to get a second. I I think there's like buttered rum in Ooh. Heroes Feast. So there's yeah. You know what? Curl up with a, with something you make from Heroes Feast in your new D and D fleece blanket that you discovered ah. on the holiday gift guide. Wearing your D and D fuzzy socks, uh, as well as some of the yep. cool T-shirts got, from Heroes and Villains. And, <gasps> those are uh, I did put those on my list. Yeah, I did. It's worthwhile. Yeah. 
There is, uh, yeah, great stuff from Death Saves. There's, that gift guide is chock full. I am so excited about it. You yeah, can also get it on our website. It's going to be a good uh, couple of months for D&D fans. Uh, we may be, you know, by ourselves in our house, but we have a lot of fun stuff to warm us up and keep us entertained uh, with the stories that we can watch on these videos as well as the ones that you can participate in with your uh, close family. So that's, that's going to be great. Yep. All right. Love it. Let us now jump into our segment. All right. Welcome to How to Be a DM. I am here with a wonderful guest, Grant Ellis, filmmaker, educator, and game designer and creator of Grimworld, a 5th edition D&D campaign. You, you may see uh, Grant's name out there quite a bit. I know I did. Um, one of the things that he is known for is the host of uh, WebDM Plays, as well as a dungeon master in residence at the Games Tavern. I am here, though, to talk to Grant about one-shots. How are you doing, Grant? Well, Shelly, I'm, I'm phenomenal. Um, it's a, a magical time of the year, and uh, thank you for having me here. It uh, is the most magical time of the year. Or the most wonderful time of the year, I guess I, we should say. Um, and that is part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you about one-shots. Because I am making a wild assumption here that as we approach the end of the year, people may find themselves with a little bit of time off. Perhaps um, looking for a way to stay connected to friends and family if you, you can't be with uh, people in person this year. And Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons is a great way to do that. However, uh, if you're, you might be introducing someone to D&D for the first time, I have a perception of one shots. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong with it. But in my opinion, if, if you are going to introduce someone to D&D, um, it's probably better to not say like, we're going to now start a nine-year campaign and we're I'm going to do all this great prep work and you're going to create all these characters and you're going to go from levels one to 20 and see you in a decade um no it feels like maybe a one shot might be a better way what do you think i think um and in as a disclaimer your own perception will neither be right nor wrong it's very valid right so i think it depends on the audience you're talking to because i've worked uh with a lot of uh, i grew up playing role-playing games some of those campaigns did go on for for years oh, because at the time, sure. as an audience, we were very excited to to play and and we lasted. And I have some friends where they do uh, they like the pitch of this is going to be a long campaign. We might not say nine years, but we might say nine um, months. We might say okay. two. Um, but um, I would say though, if your uh, your observation is very correct, if you're looking to interest someone in the game, you just want to give them that that first like real positive experience. It's very easy with a one shot to, to shape that experience. You have a lot of control and they also, it's, it's very low risk because say they play like my best friend in the world has a hard time playing role-playing games, but he loves playing a good one shot. He's just like, Oh, this, this feels good. This is energy. It's such a positive experience. And, um, you know, so one shots offer one, as you pointed out, a good introduction into role-playing games as well as they serve the purpose for those that like to sample that gaming experience here and there. That's a good point. It's kind of like it can scratch that D&D &D itch also if you maybe just want to just 
jump in once in a while. But so I guess for people who maybe aren't familiar with this concept of a one shot, like how do one shots differ from longer campaigns or Mm -hmm. other types of games? I would say the idea uh, with a one shot is you're going to explore what I'll refer to as the play space one time. We're going to go into this world. We're going to go into this moment in a fictional history. We're going to play this D&D. Uh, we're going to explore these characters one time. Um, at the, and, and we're just going to sample it. And we only need to make this play experience last for a session. And what I refer to there is we're, we're just going to get together. We're going to have characters. They might be pre-generated. We might make our own. And we're going to do a micro slice of uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, that is still, even though it's a micro slice, it's very filling and very satisfying. Okay. Also, I'd say the pacing of the game might be adjusted. Um, for example, uh, because you're only playing one time, you might start throwing in uh, some some uh, some of our uh, heavier punches, so to speak. It's like you know what. We've never gotten to throw an adult blue dragon. We've never gotten to take this magical mini and just drop it on the table. And it's going to be there and the players are going to get a, you know, fight a dragon. They haven't had that experience. So one shot gives you an opportunity to play with those uh, ideas and toys. So would you say, is can you like have less emphasis on rules really? Because I mean, who, who really has time in to, you know... For all, the, for all that stuff, can you be a little fast and loose with how things are actually going to play out? I think specifically with 5th edition, it plays fairly fast and loose, but what you might have to do is uh, uh, rapidly adjudicate. It's just kind of like, we're going to make some assumptions here. For example, okay. if I'm running a one-shot at a convention, I actually have a checklist. I go, hey, I want you as a group to kind of consent to some assumptions. For example, if you're playing the rogue and you've never played this rogue before, I'm going to assume you're trying to not be detected most of the time if you're in a dangerous situation. Likewise, you character with a very high passive perception, I'm going to assume that you're on the lookout trying to uh, uncover traps or uh, potential ambushes. So why don't we just take some of the passive scores and we all agree to that. Uh, likewise, um, we might have to streamline those rules um, but also make sure that the players know which rules we're streamlining and which ones we're not. And also listen to them on that because they might um, they might have a character build that uh, requires the rules to be observed slightly and just have that conversation with them to figure out uh, what will create the best play experience. Okay. I like that. I like the, the assumptions. I think that's, that's a good, good place to, to start. Um, so what about story? Like, how important is a story in a one-shot? So I think um, I think there's two ways to look at this. One, there's sort of the uh, existing dramatic elements in the game world, uh, game world. I think there needs to be enough there to uh, get the players interested. Helps if you know who your players are before. So uh, around the holidays time, we might run with friends and family and they're more accessible. But if you're running a one-shot at a convention, you might be playing with complete strangers mm -hmm. who uh, that story might be the hook that brings them to your convention game table, whether you're doing an Adventures League module or just running a session of D&D. Uh, likewise, there's the story that we as players tell after the session. That's the story I think matters most because uh, I want those uh, game experiences to be shared uh, for years to come and I want them to be positive stories. So I think uh, you need enough of a hook to get them interested. 
uh, and you also you want there to be enough substance that they they talk about it afterwards. Do you Positive. tend do you tend to have like more combat, and does it happen quicker? Is that like a good way to get people? I mean, I, I know it'll depend on on the party. If you have a, a party that's just really excited about role playing, then you know throw that in right away. But it seems like action might be a good starting point. So. Um, there are adventures, one shots where I do what I call the strong start. We're starting in the middle of things. We're starting with a bang and we're starting uh, with a, a high action fight. However, uh, sometimes I want the players to become a little more invested in maybe pre-generated characters they're playing. I want them to respect these characters as if they are uh, people. I want them to treat the characters with respect. So I might start, and this is what I like to do with a one shot. Um, I say, you know what? Each of you have an opportunity to earn a point of inspiration, which you can use to get advantage on your die roll. What I'd like you to do is I'm going to give you a simple prompt, and I'd like you to monologue for as long as you feel comfortable. We're not going to score the monologues. We're not going to compare. But I want you to describe your character's morning routine or a disturbing ritual. And then we just go around the table. This is great with strangers because they're just like, they start to lean in and they think, they go, you know what, I'm playing a, a, a dwarven cleric. What would my morning routine be like? Okay, I'm a religious guy. Maybe I tie my beard in a special knot. And, and we just kind of talk about it. And then we think about our characters. Um, so what I like to do is get them invested. And then um, I like, to, I like to, to use what I call the strong verb where, where they're going to do something very specific. Like it must be like retrieve the demon idol from the lost caverns of Saj Camp or... Uh, arrest um, uh, Captain Mulligan. You know, it's just like, you're going to have to go do this thing that's very specific. Um, and I want them to understand that part. But I also want to give them a moment to sort of acclimate to the character with a mechanical reward. So they're not just monologuing because we feel like uh, going Shakespearean. It's like, hey, I want you to have an advantage when this adventure starts. Um, and I want us to buy into our characters a little bit. It'll help set the mood. Uh, most of the time, there's almost no resistance to that. Someone might be a little more shy, but we open up. Yeah. yeah. I, I, that's the one thing that I was thinking like, oh, a, a new player might be a little, feel a little bit awkward having to do that. But I mean, you're talking about their morning routine. They're not like, they don't have to engage with nope. another player like that. So yeah. Cause that was also one of the questions that I was going to ask is how, like with a longer campaign, if, or if you're, you know, you're going into this as a group with the intention of playing together for a long time, there is a lot of, um, you know, session zero type of, of, of content that flows between players and dungeon masters, backstories, how do you know each other, that kind of thing, um, which really helps the, the players, you know, get to know each other, um, the players and their characters. But you don't really, I didn't know if, if you would have that time in a, a one shot to, but this seems like a really unique, good, quick way for players to kind of get to know each other. Mm -hmm. Something I include as well if I'm running at a convention even if I, or if I'm running for friends is I have sort of a standard social contract that I send where I just go, hey, we're going to agree to behave a certain way. Uh, we're going to adhere to a code of conduct. Here's a real simple way. If a problem arrives, here's how we're going to handle it. And also I'd like you to let me know, are there any things we want out of bounds or behind a curtain? Um, how, how, how do we want to handle this? And I send it, it's, it's anonymous with the exception of they will uh, log that they did, in fact, go through it. But if um, that's sort of a way to sort of front load those concerns, because we can't necessarily all be there together. Um, 
uh, to perform a very thorough session zero. But I always like to do just sort of a take a moment, even if it's not a full session, to kind of let's all sit around the table together and sort of agree to the kind of game we're going to play. Um, and uh, it's 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 pretty it's pretty standard. And there's a few other things that I might do to help. Like I might have a quote that's very applicable to the game. Like um, uh, there's one from G.K. Chesterton where I, I quote this almost every D&D session. That's a one shot. I go, fairy tales are more than true, not because they teach us that dragons exist, but because they teach us dragons can be beaten. And I have a little dragon mini that I kind of float oh. around. If I'm running at a convention and there's, you know, 10 year olds playing with their uh, parents for the first time, like it's it's kind of neat for them to be like, hmm, hmm. Yeah. Just kind of let them know it's like this is playtime. It's imagination. Um, let's buy in. Oh, I like that. I really like that quote too. That's great. Um, so, what about prepping? Like, how much should a dungeon master prep for a one shot? As much as they need to. No, um, that's, that's the <laughs> baloney answer. But uh, here's here's what I do. I like to put together what I'd call uh, Grant's bag of tricks. So okay. if I'm running for strangers, it might be a collection of some simple minis. It might be a quick little dry erase map because some people are very visual and they mm. kind of need that tactile component. They this need is a, a mini. literal bag of tricks. Literal bag figure. of tricks. Okay. All right. Yeah, I might right. have, and that's if I'm playing in person. I might have a pound of dice that I just pour on the table. It's like if someone doesn't have dice, you can you can take these. Um, oh, you you can use them. Um, uh, and then I start thinking about it. So from the prep. Uh, I think of something that can be finished in a single session, um, like a layer. Maybe the layer has six rooms, and uh, the rooms, you, it doesn't really matter which way you go. Eventually, you can get to the uh, final encounter, but the final encounter, uh, the players are essentially going to have a unique experience running through it. Um, likewise, uh, when I think about the prep, I start to think about, is there a question that this uh, session is trying to answer? You know, will a portal to the elemental plane of fire be opened? What does that mean? And, and that's a good way to articulate stakes to the uh, players too, because they're like, well, what do we got to do? It's like, well, if you don't finish this one shot, a portal to the plane of elemental fire is going to be open and a dragon's going to have control over it. Not only that, they have your family members opening that portal for them. Oh, God. Can you rescue them? Yes. So it's like... <laughs> Start thinking about those. And then I like to write um, what I call my outs. I write at least five secrets and clues, which are just fun little fictional. Um, we'd use the word orthogonal in design. So we kind of move sideways. Like, here's a cool thing that belongs to D&D that you've never seen before that um, you're discovering. So I try to think of unique uh, play experiences that I can just drop into the world. Um Maybe it's a monster they've never seen before, a magic item. And then um, after that, um, if it's a pre-published adventure, I do read through it and I make some notes. Uh, I run a lot of convention games and the convention games are usually pre-published. And so I just want to make sure that I understand the components of, of the session. And they're interesting because it might be like the goal of this adventure is the players have to map the dungeon and they're selling the map back to a very rich person. And um, so uh, I wouldn't know that if I didn't read the adventure. I just think, well, why are they in this tomb? Yeah. You're like hanging out with dead, dead people. Wait, um, are, they, are you saying implying that if it's a pre-published adventure, a dungeon master could just be like starting at page one as the game begins and not actually reading through it? Wouldn't? What's I've, going on with Dungeon Masters? Well, 
I will neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's that's it's a choice. Yes, and if you're an experienced so, dungeon master, like yeah, you can just basically roll with whatever's on the page. And or they skim, or they skip, or they um, uh, they might they might they might have a very hard time as like say a read write learner where it's like sitting there and reading something is hard. Um, yeah. The typeface, maybe they have a problem with the typeface, uh, and and um, so they might have have issues processing that much information. It might be intimidating too, mm-hmm. or it might be. Uh, it might be a time sink where uh, they're called to dungeon master at the last minute. They have they haven't had much time. They've got they've got an hour to prep and they have to run a four hour convention game for oh a table of eight players. So it, it, so they have to think how, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to process this information? And um, uh, the nice thing about this is at the end of the day, it's about that experience, that magic that happens on the table. So if you just think, well, this is how it starts. This is what I want them to feel. This is the question I want answered. And we have um, uh, a variety. I, I will say having digital tools in 2020 is very helpful, both for playing long distances as well as a reference. Like I can ask a question to my phone about D&D and it will answer it for me with yeah. page citations and it's great. Yeah. Um, I just asked that question as somebody who's, you know, obviously not an experienced dungeon master and I'm like, Oh, that would be like my nightmare if somebody was just like, go, just hand it. I feel like I would, I mean, I know I'm I'm an over prepper. So just one day to, you know, open a book and just start playing would be great. Uh, okay. So let's see. So many questions. What about length of time? Is there like an ideal length of time you should shoot for? Or does it kind of depend on the group and the story? Group and circumstance. So I would think about your players. Like um, like me, I'm a chronic pain patient. It's okay to disclose that. And it's like, so I might have a hard time being in a chair for a very long time. So I really like two-hour sessions. However, there might be a four or four-and-a-half-hour convention time slot. Or it might be uh, you think about the overall game experience. This is an event game. We're getting together with our friends. We only see each other once every five years. We're bringing all the good snacks that everyone wants. Yeah. We want to make this a longer session. Uh, likewise, it might be, it'll also depend on how comfortable you are with facilitating games. Um, most of my four-hour time slots, I finish in about two and a half hours, but the players are very satisfied. They go, it felt like four hours. It's just, I've run lots of Dungeons & Dragons, so I'm very quick at adjudicating rules. I have uh, play aids that help me uh, uh, cite spells and how they work. Likewise, as I mentioned in the last question, I've read the adventure. So right. I know what comes next. Yes, <laughs> that is helpful. Um, what about how, now? How do you handle characters? Um, do you do you tend to use pregens or have them create their own characters or a combination of both? And specifically for for one shots, convention one shots, pregens. Yeah. Most of the time, I'd say ninety nine percent of the time, it sort of standardizes the play experience as well as. Uh, the pregens can be designed specifically for uh, the adventure. Um, for uh, personal one-shots, charity one-shots, online one-shots, etc., I like to give folks the opportunity with guidelines on how to create characters before the game, or if they'd like to do it as part of a session, understand that we will take maybe four hours instead of three hours. It's just, let us start slow. Let us talk about our characters because we want to make this part of the experience. Um, but I also, if we're making characters, I provide uh, a structure. 
here's uh, what we'd like them to lean into. And you can have some fun experiences. Like we're making a uh, monastic Dwarven order. It's a group of Dwarven monks. They've grown up together. Uh, who are who are the dwarves? And then we each make our own dwarf and talk about their life in the monastery. And it, uh, the nice thing about when they make their own characters is there's some immediate uh, investment as well as it's kind of a fun little self-exploration exercise where players might get to try a, a build or a character type or a play style uh, that they've never thought of before. They get to come out of their comfort zone for a one-shot. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's a good point. All right, so um, what do you do if you really want them to keep playing or if you really want them to fall in love with D&D for the first time? How do you leave them wanting more? More, more. So, yeah, I think the idea there is, uh, for me, it's about, um, it's really about, I, I think about what, uh, to take an expression from stand-up comedy, it's what I leave on the stage. So mm-hmm. um, that is more important than what happens during the game session, I think. It's what it's what you leave them with and what they leave feeling. So, um I wanted a play experience that's solid, uh, where they really felt a connection to the relationships between the characters, where they feel like they they accomplished something. Um, that's the problem with one shot. Sometimes is that there's there's no like say XP incentive, uh, but you're unlocking story, you're unlocking uh, outcomes, and so I it, I think the real trick is that experience you leave them with. I can't say. Uh, I've run 100% successful D&D sessions, but I can say that uh, uh, we've always left with respect and the willingness to keep playing where it's just like, you know, that that was a good experience. And, you know, I, I like playing with this group. Uh, I'd like to try that again. Yeah. All right. Um, like I said to you over email, I, I I don't know what I don't know about these one shots, but I do know that you're an expert here. Is there anything else that you can think of that you want to share for best practices sure. here? Sure. I here's here's uh, what I describe as sort of uh, if I had three must haves. Okay. Is first. A one shot can be completed. A, a good one can be completed in a single session. So make sure you manage your time and that at, you, you've taken the time to get everyone there. You complete it in a single session. Two, you give every player at the table an opportunity to celebrate the hobby. Like, oh. Make sure they get their time in the spotlight. Make sure they enjoy each other's company and uh, make sure that they get to use their characters uh, as they're designed. Uh, and also. Oh, that's I, an excellent point. Yes, if somebody's being very thoughtful about some cool thing that their character has or can do, you want to incorporate that into the game. A hundred percent. Okay. And I think uh, I'd say the last thing is if you do have that that question that you asked about the one shot, make sure the players have an opportunity to answer it or cliffhanger. So maybe they want to say, hey, let's get back together because that was a really cool dramatic ending. Yes. We're, we're ready to come back. Um, Obviously, a cliffhanger. Yes. <laughs> That's a great idea. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I think so. I, at the more I was thinking about this, the more I was thinking, maybe this is a good way for a new dungeon master to test out their skills or to like, you know, gain some confidence in the role. Is that true? Or am I crazy? It's a hundred percent, uh, correct. In fact, personal anecdote, 
I didn't start running D&D until I was in my mid-30s. I'd played lots of other role-playing games. I just happened to be at the game store. A dungeon master didn't show up, and a group was there to play. And the store owner said, hey, you, Grant, do you want to run? try running D&D for a group? So I got, to, got the core books, and I picked up a hardcover adventure. I said, give me an hour to read a little. And I ran uh, Out of the Abyss. It was my first D&D session, and I got to run it. And... I mean, think of the outcome to that, though, right? It, so it's like, yeah. I was only supposed to run the one time, um, but they asked the clerk if I could come back um, maybe another week. Yeah, so it for me, if I hadn't stepped in to run one D&D session one time, uh, I wouldn't have had an opportunity to uh, fall in love with the game and help other people fall in love with the game, so. That's very impressive. Yeah. All right. Well, this is amazing. This is really good information. I actually feel like one shots. That might be my, that might be, yeah, I'm going to do it. You will be a phenomenal one shot uh, uh, DM, possibly one of the best of all time. Oh my God. I don't know. I know. If we'll go that far, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, it's, you got to start somewhere. And yeah, I, at least for me, it just feels like the mindset of like, this is only one time. Don't worry about it. That would make me feel less pressure. I don't know. Oh, 100% less. Yep. Tricking you'll, yourself. You'll, you'll feel less. It's not even a trick. There's less pressure. And just think about it. It's like, we're going to take two to four hours. We're going to play some D&D. You know what? I have something really cool that they're going to see that they've never seen before. They're going to see, you know, is it? you can just come up with something weird. They're going to be like, well, they're going to see a uh, a mummy vampire. I'm going to mash up these two monsters. It's going to be ridiculous. It's going to be uh, uh, Strahd's mummy, where it's Strahd's mother in mummy form or something like that. You can just have fun with these yep. ideas. And, and that's a good comedic one. And as a note of one shot, every year for Halloween, I run a Curse of Strahd one shot where it's like a one night in Strahd's castle. And um, I've run it a bunch of different versions. There's a lot of designers out there that have their variant of running the Strahd one shot. And I think that's another good one too, where you think about a thematic one shot for a time of the year. I played yeah. uh, holiday one shots. They're all fun. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right. Awesome. Um, Grant, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Um, where, where can people find out more about you and about what you're working on? All right. So you can find me on Twitter at WisePapaGrant. Um, you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash webdm. I'm the producer of WebDM Plays, um, as well as the host for the before and after shows. And occasionally I show up on stream. Mm -hmm. uh, likewise, uh, my campaign setting, Grimworld, uh, is uh, available through... Uh, 2C Gaming, it's a 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons campaign setting that is all about bringing fairy tale magic into 5th edition. Oh, so uh, cool. Likewise, if you want to see any of my media work, Power Word Kiss, D&D uh, pun, PowerWordKiss.com is my website. Awesome. Well, Grimworld sounds amazing, so I'm definitely going to check that out myself. Um, but thank you again so much for being here. And I hope that um, when we are able to see each other in person and conventions start up again, uh, maybe I'll find myself at one of your tables. Maybe I'll find myself at one of yours. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I wouldn't hold my breath, but maybe. You never know. Uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Grant. Thank you. are finally learning how to DM. Well, one shots, I actually feel like uh, 
it's not the worst way for a, a new dungeon master to get started. Because, you know, it's a one-shot. If it goes really bad, you don't have to do it again. Exactly, right? It's like a short story of content. It's like a short That's, story, yeah. You can get yeah. that going really fast. Uh, maybe resolve it in two or three hours. And then uh, hopefully leave them with a taste of wanting more. Exactly. I hope so. Me too. Right, well... I'm still waiting for you to do that one shot. Are you going to run mm-hmm. one for, for me and my family? Oh, for your, f- yeah, actually. Yeah. I yeah. could do that. All right. We'll get, we'll get Fiona, Edna, Aaron will play her turtle. It'll be great. Okay. I'll think about it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, let us now call up Drac and get on the phone with him and find out all about what is going on. Okay. Everyone, let us welcome Drac to Dragon Talk. Yay! Thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) We should rebrand this to Dragon Talk. That was going to be my line. It's Dragon Talk today. I wouldn't be against that. A whole show would be enough for me. I'm down for that. (laughs) Well, at least for this interview, it's Dragon Talk. (laughs) Excellent. I like it. You are calling in uh, all the way from the UK, is that right? Yeah. I'm across the pond. (laughs) So it's definitely evening for you, yes? Yeah, yeah. Right now it's like 8 o'clock. 8 p.m. right now, yeah. Time is an illusion. Oh, yeah. It it really is. Do you enjoy beer? No. I actually don't drink alcohol. (laughs) Okay. Do you like fish and chips? Yes. You do? I I actually had that right before this interview. (laughs) Really? (laughs) (laughs) Very British thing. Yes. I will say the the chips are amazing. Even when I when I did eat fish, I don't I don't I didn't love the fish as much, but I oh chips. I could just eat chips for days. Yeah, the fish you have to go to like chips here is like usually pretty universally great. But yeah. the fish is like, it's a hit and miss, depending on where you go to, what mm-hmm. part of the UK as well. Yeah. What part yeah. of the UK are you in? Oh, I'm the part from, of the UK that no one wants to be in. <laughs> I'm from I'm from Essex. Um, oh. So it, the like, only way is Essex. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, why, that's all I always get when I mention Essex. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I promise you that we are not all like that. A large majority, <laughs> large majority are, but not all of us. It's similar to uh, people from New Jersey who are like, we're not all like the people in the Jersey Shore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I right. Hear that. Sure, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that growing up in upstate New York. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, New York is, yeah, it's, it's okay that. to do that. Uh, yeah. So, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, D&D is being played in Essex, right? Surprisingly, yes. <laughs> Honestly, I it was a new. I didn't know until I kind of dived into the scene that there is quite a lot of people playing D and D or t- tabletop RPGs in general. Honestly, but yeah, especially D and D. I feel like I mean, just looking at all of the things that you're involved in, I feel like you must have had something to do with that. This huge. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Um, no, <laughs> um, I'm very new to tabletop role-playing games in general. Oh, tell us. How yeah, did you get I, introduced? Um, I only started a year ago. Um, I play, started playing probably like, probably a year ago last week was um, when I played my first TTRPG. I joined wow. the university's D&D club. And um, yeah, I played a Dragonborn, Dragonborn fighter. <laughs> nice. Good way to jump in. Yeah, it 
it was it was fun. It was it wasn't role play heavy. It was a bunch of us just having just messing around, having fun. We didn't really, I'll be honest, we didn't really follow much rules. It was mainly rule of cool. Whatever sounded cool, we did. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. And after that, I was kind of hooked. After so, that, what was, made you join the club to begin with? Are you a were you a, a theater person? Oh, absolutely not. No, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, not even in the slightest. Um, I'm <laughs> okay. So I, I had multiple stages of like D&D introductions or TTRPG introductions. Um, first, I saw like actual play like on streams and stuff. And I kind of got hooked into watching those. Okay. Um, and then I, I'd been watching them for like maybe a year or two before I actually started playing. Um, one, because I was I was very much a jock of my um, like um, secondary school. So playing D&D was nerdy and I was like, I was too scared <laughs> to show that off, to um, express that. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I reached university, I was like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm getting old, you know, I, I don't have much time left. <laughs> Might as well just start playing. So I just kind of dived into D um, and D. That's cool. Like I said, I'm not a theater kid. I'm, I'm very socially anxious, and I wanted to get over that. So oh. I was like, maybe just exposure therapy would help. So I kind of just dived into D and D role playing and role playing on stream as well. Oh my gosh! You yeah. just made me anxious. <laughs> just see it, like. So you- <laughs> How do you, well, first of all, did it, did that help with social anxiety? A little bit. I'm still kind of socially anxious, but um, I mean, I've pretended to be a dragon in front of at least 40 people before. So I like, there's nothing more worse than that like, social, social anxiety wise. Yeah. If so you like, can get over that hump, then you're like, all right, yeah, I can do yeah. anything. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Cool. That seems like a, a big leap from like. I always, I mean, I think we're just obviously in very different generations, but like, I mean, you're like growing up watching people streaming games and you're like, so it, it might seem like a more natural jump for you. But for me, like hearing you say like, I'm, I'm a bit socially anxious. I've never played D&D before. So I decided to stream myself <laughs> playing a dragon. Um, and, like, you know, that's just to me is like, holy cow, that's a huge jump. But no, it was it. it was a huge jump for me as well, which is why I did it. Yeah, because like it was under my terms at the very least. I could choose mm-hmm. what games I was playing in. Whereas with like if I did theatre, I'd probably be kind of tied to whatever the group as a whole decided to play or um, yeah. what play they decided to do. Um, but with D and D, I kind of like I get to create my own character. I can be whoever, literally whoever I want to be. Mm-hmm. I'm not tied to a script, which I also think was a big thing for me as well. I'm. The idea of being tied to a script is terrifying to me. <laughs> like that hasn't D hasn't helped with that. Because just I have a been restricted and then possibly breaking that restriction by accident. It seems so much worse to me than just I'm fumbling an improv kind of scene. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I love that you chose a Dragonborn as your first character. It reminds me of uh, another interview that we did a few years ago with Joe Manganello, who sounds very similar to you, where he was played football, he was very much the jock, uh, uh, and what always harbored this idea of and love of fantasy and, and Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and he gravitated towards the Dragonborn as his kind of like first character too. Yeah, I just I've always been a huge fan of just dragons in general, mm. <laughs> which is kind of where I got my kind of picked up my pseudonym, my name, um, Draconics, oh. um, or just Drac for short, because I just really like dragons in everything. And anytime I could play a dragon or something tied to a dragon, I will do it. 
So oh, yeah, when up. I realized I could be a dragon, a basically a humanoid dragon in a suit of armor, I was like, yeah, I'm, that's right down my alley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is it about the dragon that you uh, were fascinated with? It was something as a, as a kid that you watched or saw or, or what? I think I just really enjoy the like really weird versatility they have. Because like, at first, at, at least, I was sort of dragons as um, just fire-breathing beasts. And then now I can, they can breathe electricity, like um, just straight up th- like thunder damage, um, fire, ice. And I feel like they're just really versatile in that way. They could just like spell acid if they wanted to, which is, which is just kind of cool in my, in my opinion. Whereas like other mythological creatures seem to be kind of fixed in what exactly they can do. Mm. I find that the um, in my informal focus group here that dragonborn (laughs) characters tend to have uh, very elaborate backstories. I think just the fact that you're like a dragon, like part dragon, just already lends itself to a really good story. Does your character have an elaborate backstory? Um, I was the one person who was like, you know what, I'm going to have my character have a very happy backstory. Oh. Everyone, everyone else has this really doom and gloom kind of like my family's whole village was burned down or something like that. Or Luton, I was like, I'm gonna have a very loving mother and oh. a very supportive father. <laughs> I <laughs> um, love that. So I kind of leaned into that. Um, I played a noble, so that was fun as well. It was a noble dragonborn, so I got to be a little bit um, uppity about everything, yeah. which is fun. <laughs> You've got the right yeah. accent for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, not considering that it was in the UK, everyone had the right accent. I guess that's right. Yeah, it's it's yeah. all about what it compares to. When I try to do yeah. an uppity, it always ends up sounding like your accident. You, you actually just <laughs> no, slipped yeah. into it a little. Bit. I did. I, I, it's a problem. Yeah. I do that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's honestly great because it's a, just a natural. I get to slip into when I'm in a, like a group of American <laughs> players. I'm like, you know what? I got the accent. I might as well just just be the noble. Yeah, I don't yeah. need to put on anything special. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope. That's my friends don't of mine even who have are, to try. My friends of mine who are actors who are always like, "Why does every single fantasy show or everything they're always British? Like, what about some American accents in in like Lord of the Rings? Like, what?" <laughs> uh, honestly, that would be pretty cool. I'd want to hear like an American American Hobbit. Or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> American Hobbit. Ooh, now I, that that almost feels feeling. like a series title, like American. Yeah. Hobbit. <laughs> But I kind of, I don't know why I'm going for a straight up Boston accent. Yeah. On the oh, American good. I Hobbit. love that. Yes. We can That'd have be so good. Bab. Bab Salvatore can voice oh, the American Hobbit. That's it. I'm pitching <laughs> his. Our, we need to hit someone our favorite Bostonian. I mean, I think, it, I think it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> it could be your next stream because you're in like like 497 of them, it sounds like. Oh. Yeah, I have a teacher RPG addiction. Um, <laughs> I played too many things and I have an inability to say no as well, which is another thing. This is how it happens. That's a good yeah. thing. Though. Yeah, so tell us about uh, uh, Super Idols. What's what's that one all about? Oh, yeah. So um, it's a power, Powered by the Apocalypse um, RPG. My friend um, Erin Seris, mm-hmm. um, they kind of got the mask um, system and tweaked it a little bit to make it kind of, an ad, kind of anime-esque a magical girl and um, just pop idol clash. <laughs> just all of the anime tropes just slammed into each other. And when I when I read the picture, I was like, I need to play this. I, I'm a big anime fan already. So being able to role play anything related to that was perfect. So I kind of jumped into it. 
um, yeah, I'm playing like a little innocent, um, happy-go-lucky boy. He's, he really wants to be a pop idol. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Who, like, and again, got kind of very positive backstory for that as well. Yeah, I, I was think. just going to say, yeah. I love that your characters are like, just happy, just happy to be here. Just, you yeah, know, I, living the I dream. Like, I feel like in my short stint in the TGRPG community, I've noticed that a lot of people seem to lean into the doom and gloom. So I, yeah. I just wanted to be like the counterbalance to that. So I always have like a really, at least my character is happy-go-lucky most of the time. Um, I think I played one kind of, one character I have played was um, had a doom and gloom story because, like, you know what? There must be some kind of appeal to this. Let me at least try it out. Yeah. <laughs> and there is definitely appeal, but there's also, I think, having a happy kind of character and a backstory is just as fun, honestly. Yeah, I think so. And it's something to um, use to work out certain things, right? Like, I think if some people mm-hmm. have, you know, uh, what could be called a, 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 a more positive upbringing. They like to role play something like, "Oh, what's it like to be a little bit darker?" Right? Yeah. And the opposite. Like, if you have a darker background, you might want to be like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just be the happy-go-lucky," uh, as you were saying, uh, you know, kind of character. Uh, and I like that it goes against the trope, right? Like mm-hmm. the whole idea yeah. that. You know, you have this this coming of age story of like you know the young kid who was orphaned, but he's actually you know, or or, or he or she has got like a prophecy that's like you know going to help them <laughs> out. Um, that's that can be fun to just fall into for a little while. But I love the idea of just going like, no, nope, he had a happy upbringing. His parents were nice to him. Uh, his siblings were all great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun because like I get to do things that surprise people as well. So like, like I'm pretty sure I was the only one in my D and D group um, where who had like living parents. So like after every adventure. <laughs> I would just write a, I just write a little diary entries if I'm talking to my parents about what the adventure just went on, oh and my like God. It just like really, it's a really happy go lucky kind of positive kind of vibe. And I think it's it it one is just nice. It's a nice change, and two, I think it kind of when there is doom and gloom, because I mean you're you're an adventurer. There's going to be there's bound to be some on your way. Yeah. It, I feel like it kind of bolsters it and kind of emphasizes it a bit more because um, you can at least say like why this adventure really is the worst thing that's happened to me. And it can actually be kind of shaping, right? Instead of being shaped before the adventure, you're being shaped during. Yeah, there's something to be said about that. Like there's there's stakes, right? Like if you yeah. if you are an orphan and you uh you know don't have anybody that you are close to in your family, uh, you know, why are you saving the world? <laughs> Right. Yeah. You know, but, yeah. if, but if you have all that, you're like, man, this is why we fight. This is why we're doing what we're doing uh, is because I want um, to to create a, a better life for my family. Like that's, you know, there's something really, really powerful yeah. about that. Yeah. Actually, quite literally one of my super idol characters backstory. Um, he wants to be a pop idol because his parents work too hard and he wants to be able to support oh. his parents. So they don't have to work so much. Oh, nice. <laughs> It's a radicalized uh, storyline too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Workers of the yeah. world unite. I kind of like the idea, not to say like any of your characters were sheltered, but I, I mean, if they, it depends on, on their upbringing. Because like you say, a lot of D&D characters come from, you know, like school of hard knocks and they haven't had it that yeah. easy and maybe their parents aren't alive and they've had to fend for themselves for a long time. But it, the interesting thing is like, okay, if you've had a, a different upbringing than that and now you're out there seeing the world and and like seeing the true grit of the world and it's not you know it's a lot seeing a lot of things for the first time like i i kind of like the idea of that shaping your character too and like seeing how that character is going to change throughout all of these different adventures that they have because you you would kind of lose some of that 
why yeah, not? Like, I, the world is so great. And, exactly, yeah. Because if you start grim and you get any grimmer, it'll either, it'll either get kind of annoying or you just won't be able to do much <laughs> else. Yeah. But if you start off like super, um, like chipper, at least you can, there's a more obvious change if there is a change as you go through all of that. Yeah. So like for my, my dragonborn was a noble, so he always had a great upbringing and just lived in prosperity. <laughs> so when we went through parts of um, the kingdom that my GM had created um, that were poor and like people suffering, like he'd never seen that before. And I could, I could role play that and role play his reaction to that. And um, like his, his feeling and re- he like kind of realizes that, wow, not everyone has it like me. Yeah. And I think that's really more interesting than someone just being like, oh yeah, I knew this all along. Um, that I lived here. I lived through this. So this doesn't affect me really. Yeah. And so one of the things that we love about Dungeons and Dragons and it comes out in a lot of conversations that we end up having is that it teaches that empathy. It teaches, well not teaches, but it allows you to put yourself in other people's shoes, you know, sometimes very literally in another character, but then also what would a character that had prosperity do when, uh, uh, you know, the evidence of those who have less means uh, are, are in front of them, what do you do, right? And I love that thought experiment that can happen uh, when you're playing Dungeons & Dragons. It's a lot of fun, honestly. Yeah. And like, I've, I've, since then, since that game, I was like, wow, I, I can't stop playing this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I need to keep playing. Uh, I remember that first campaign, we all just um, we all were so into it because we, our university didn't really have like a proper room for D&D. Mm-hmm. They gave that they gave special rooms to the like other clubs like um <laughs> like debate and all that. So we had to hire out like a little hall that was next to the oh. like a good 10 minute walk away from the university and it was absolutely freezing constantly. There was no central heating, nothing like that. Oh no. But we it was we, every day would every Friday, every Friday I think yeah, every Friday we just all go there right after lessons and just role play until our fingers are quite literally too cold to roll the dice. And then we're like, okay, yeah, oh. it's probably about time we should leave. <laughs> <laughs> mm. You should okay. play uh, the Icewind Dale campaign there. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that mean, would be very immersive. Yeah. <laughs> very much so. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we were gonna do so many fun things when we were gonna uh when we were gonna have live events and people would be able to come to it. We were gonna have, you know, all types of cold bars, ice bars and things like oh that to have people come to them. Meat lockers. Mm. Meat lockers. Uh yeah. <laughs> Just to, just to get that immersion, right? Snowy owl bears. <laughs> but now that winter is gonna... coming, you can do that uh, on your own. You can go you can. build yeah. a... Yeah, just, just open a window and we could... <laughs> build a snow fort with like a snow table that you can roll little <laughs> snowballs to Aww. to roll your dice. Yeah. That would be really cute. So <laughs> who were... So the people that were in this club, were they people that you knew or were they all like new faces for you? No, they're all new faces. So um, that's, I li- again, li- very... Yeah bold for somebody with some anxiety yeah i was i just um because i've been watching for a really long time like just teach rpg like streams in general for a really long time and i've been wanting to play for at least a good month or two like before um going to university and i just kind of got impatient because none of my current friends because like i said i was more of a kind of jock in in secondary school and um, sixth form so i none of my friends were really interested in, in D or anything like that so after a while, I was like, oh, I, I'm just going to, I just need to play. I don't care if it's with strangers. I just need to try it out at least. So yeah, I just kind of jumped in. And I knew I didn't have to worry too much because everyone in the D&D club 
wants to play D and D, so they're not going to judge me for it or anything like that. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, that is that is true. Yeah, and you're, yeah. if you're walking into someone who has at least some uh, connection to different social groups, you were already, you know, uh, uh, it, it, there was nothing to lose, right? You were going into it with, a, with an idea that like, oh, we're all going to just be uh, meeting and having fun together. It's similar to my, you know, my story when I started playing a lot more Dungeons & Dragons was when I was living by myself in New York and none of my friends were playing uh, or, or really had any interest. Uh, and I got tired of waiting and I was like, you know what, I can just go find people in New York City. I'm, it's a big city. I'm sure there's some people who are, are D&D fans. <laughs> it's got to be three or four of them. Yeah, you know, so you find the communities four, yeah. and, and, you know, you get it together and you're like all of a sudden like, oh, I have this entire new group of friends that I would never have had anyway. Um, yeah. So yeah, what can you talk about? Because I'm really, I like the social anxiety slash, uh, you know, how it can bring new people into your life kind of angle. So like what kind of advice might you give to someone who has a, uh, a son or a daughter or, or a, a child that is maybe experiencing some of the things that you're talking about and uh, how to encourage them to get into Dungeons and Dragons? Um, I think knowing that what, oh, so figure out, so if you're, let's say you're a parent and you're trying to figure out how to get your kids into it, figure out what they enjoy. Because I think the great thing about D&D and like TTRPGs in general is that they can be about anything. So if there's a show that they love, make a world that is like based in that show that they can rope, that they can play someone as. And I think that's a really good way to introduce someone who's a little bit socially anxious as well. Because if it's a, based on a show or a book or on a YouTube series, anything that they know well, they'd be confident enough to be able to explore that world because they'd be like, okay, yeah, I've seen this before. I know what's going on here. This isn't brand new to me. It might be like weird, but at least it's not brand new. And um, that would make it a lot easier to get into. Whereas if you just gave them a whole new, a whole new world that they've never heard of, that they've never read about, it would probably flare up the anxiety compared to anything else. So. Mm try it doesn't have to be a module it can just be a completely homebrewed thing if you want it to be that um is based in a world that they know very well that's a really or good point a yeah mm-hmm. puts a lot of um not a lot but it, you know puts some onus on the parent or the dungeon master to kind of homebrew that stuff but you're right like if they've got like if they love the witcher or if they love uh um you know, Pokemon even, right? Like just be like, oh yeah, yeah. you can play in a world that's more kid-friendly that they know all the, you know, Sophia the First. I'm just naming random shows my kids oh like. Oh God, so, yeah, my sister lost. <laughs> <It's> so, <laughs> right, but I mean, that's, it's basically a D&D world uh, that's yeah. there. There's a magic user, they have spells, they've, you know, it's all the all the tropes. So yeah, set something in, 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 a, in a known world. That's a great idea. That is good. How did you handle the role-playing aspect? Because to me, like that's something that I personally felt very anxious about and to the point where I would deliberately create characters that like had no really low charisma or they were dumb (laughs) or they were just like antisocial so like nobody ever expected me to I like I never wanted to be in the position where they're like you go talk to a bartender and get us information like I'm gonna say the wrong thing like that real Shelly was like no I'm gonna say the wrong thing I'm gonna screw this up so it took me a long time even as a theater kid to get real comfortable with the role-playing part Um, (laughs) I was very much that person as well at first (laughs) I was um I 
I am very shy and quiet, so I did play a kind of shy and quiet character at first. But then I kind of realized that everyone else is going pretty much all out. I was like, okay, that was kind of embarrassing for them. I guess I can be embarrassing too. Like <laughs> 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 that's like we can just be embarrassing together. <laughs> so yeah, because um, yeah, for me at least, I, I probably can't speak for everyone, but for me, my anxiety comes stems from what what people think of me. Mm-hmm. So seeing other people be embarrassing, I'm like, oh, okay, clearly they don't really care. So they won't judge me if I'm also embarrassing. Yeah. So I just kind of dive into the role play. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I At some point I learned the dungeon master just really wants you to talk. Like it's too hard yes. to have like, if they're, the dungeon master's like, well, what do you want to do? And everyone's like, um, um, <laughs> like, <laughs> Just why just are they making that sound? Like, true. Uh, <laughs> like Minecraft. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like the, the villager. Yeah. So you just just say it. Just just start talking, and usually you can just blame if you say something incorrect or not the brightest. Yeah, just blame you your really character. It's like, yeah, oh, exactly. I know the answer, you guys. My character doesn't. Yeah, like I noticed that. Like recently, I think it was very much a recent thing for me as well. That I kind of realize that that the gym just wants people to say stuff like just do something yeah so usually like quite often especially when i'm in a group of um new players which is really weird for me to say because i feel like i'm still pretty new <laughs> but when i notice that there's people kind of shy to speak up first i would usually start the conversation at least and then maybe like gently pull in another player and then let them take take the lead after that because yeah did you just did you haven't i've only jammed one game but I realized that in that game, it was very hard to push the story along when nobody was willing to, like, or yeah. ready to speak or do anything. So, yeah, just having someone say anything could be the most chaotic thing ever. I mean, it's, it's still something <laughs> for me to something. respond to and push the story along with. And I can, I definitely can see GMs just loving those kind of players. Yeah. Do yeah, you, you Greg, want to is have that it. True? It is very true. Uh, in fact, uh, some of the groups that I've been playing with recently as the Dungeon Master. Um, I, I feel like I'm pushing, I'm the instigator. I'm the one who's pushing the story along, but I want it to be the players who are like, I want to do this and I want to do this. And then, you know, then it becomes so much more powerful because they are driving the storytelling rather than the storytelling coming, uh, you know, solely from, from, from the dungeon master. Uh, and there was a, there was a moment in a session uh, a couple weeks ago where this is the first time it happened with this particular group where they had a conversation that I didn't speak in for like 15 minutes. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like, finally, oh, wow. people had dropped into their, you know, they were, they were talking about what they were going to do, like what the plans were going to be for the future. But even that, uh, somewhat in character, was was wonderful to behold. And I had that moment of like, ah, oh, this is how it's supposed to feel. It's a Dungeon Master. I feel, it must feel great. Again, I, like, I'm still, I'm not quite ready to fully run a whole campaign. I've run a one shot before. Mm-hmm. And in that one shot, when the players hit that stride, I was like, wow, this is, well, I get why some people are okay with being forever DMs. I get it now. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what, what was your... Uh, why did you want to start DMing rather than playing? Like, what, was, what, what made you want to tell you know, the story? Um, I have, I'm very much an idea man. I have so many ideas that I would love to play in, but nobody willing to run them. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I might as well try, it, try and run it myself. So... Yeah, so I, I did something first. With, I did it with D&D because I just know D&D. Like, I know it pretty well. Um, so I started off with that and just did like a really simple like dungeon called kind of game with some friends. And just to get the gist of it, to see if I actually do have what it takes. Um, 
it was nerve-wracking, I'll be honest. <laughs> but after I got in, I hit my stride and it was kind of fun. So I definitely plan on jamming more soon. Um, but I think right now I'm still going to play until I physically can't play anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we're curious to see when that is. But let's talk about more of the, because of, I keep alluding to like, it seems like you're doing a lot of streams. But so what other projects are you involved in? Um, so I'm in a D&D campaign um, called Heroes of ES. Era over on um, Screw of the Bus channel um, on Twitch, and uh, it's it's a it's a homebrewed world with the D and D like D and D rule set and everything. And it's it's we've only I think we've only had one. We've had two episodes. We had um, a session zero and a session one, which was last week. And um, it's been is a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm playing a Wolfwood monk, um, which I thought was a really fun um, combination because I just haven't seen that combination before. Um, I'm using a UA class, um, Way of the Astral Self, because um, I don't know if I've mentioned this, I'm an anime fan, and that gives me huge JoJo Bizarre Adventure vibes. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. so I'm playing an astral, Way of the Astral Self. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We've got a bunch of people from all over the world. So um, Scriv and I are, are living in the UK, We've got, um, and Rich, who's another player who's in the UK, and we've got two people over in the US playing as, with us as well. And um, yeah, it's, just been, it's been a lot of fun. I, I'm playing like a really... Um, mystical, weird um, Warforge that no one really understands. He's technically on the run right at the moment, which is really fun. Yeah. Wait, does this character have a very happy backstory too? Yeah. Or Unfortunately, no. Okay. <laughs> no, he he actually doesn't. Yeah, um, I needed some reason. So in the world my um, script made, um, Warforge tend not to like venture out too much. So I kind of needed a reason for my character to venture out. And I thought, you know what, maybe maybe this astral projection that he has is a really weird thing. And people are trying to, or a weird thing for Warforged anyway. And people are trying to like, essentially break him apart to figure out why it's happening. And he had to like run away to avoid that, like stop that from happening. And yeah, so I kind of have a, he left his best friend behind, which is another Aww. part of the tragic backstory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, so what, people people were going to take apart your your body? Oh my god, yeah. that's that's very tragic. Yeah, because <laughs> it was it was just really weird. No one understood why this warforge that was built like made to just be a sentinel to protect and scout the area suddenly has a weird starry projection of a being behind him whenever he whenever someone attacks him, for example. They want to they want to figure that out. Maybe use it to their advantage. And the only way they can think of doing that is to break him apart and figure out if there's something weird going on inside. Wow, that's a good story. I know. So does the party kind of protect your character too? Are they aware yeah. of that? Okay. Yeah. So um, one of them is one of them is fully aware of it because they were they they were also some people that had they were also someone that had run away from the same group of people. So like they were like kind of like an inside person. So they knew everything that was going on. It helped me escape and everything. So they know what's going on in there. I haven't revealed it to the other characters. The players know, but the characters right. don't. Okay. Um, so I haven't revealed it to them. Um, but the one spy on our on our group in our group knows, and it's been protecting me, kind of keeping me oh. hidden, gave me a place to stay as well. I'm glad you have a friend. <laughs> you had to leave your best friend at home. Yeah, that's so sad. Also, a so warforge that is left at home. So maybe you have to rescue. Oh, yeah. No, just a, oh. just a it was just a normal person. Honestly, okay. it was just a normal. Uh, just a, I think they're an elf. Uh, Oh, uh, we gotta, elf, yeah. gotta help save the elves. Save yeah. the elves. <laughs> did you? So, did you guys record your session zero? Um, 
I actually don't know. I need to ask Griff. I don't think we did. I'm always fascinated by session zeros. I want to see more. Of like what, I think they're what, really interesting. Yeah. I think they mm-hmm. are too. Like, what did you guys do in your session zero? Was it just like like characters getting to know each other or players getting to know each other? Um, so we had like session zero twice. <laughs> so session zero, the first session zero was the players getting to know each other. Um, okay. We we'd all known Scrib already, but we hadn't known we hadn't met each other. Mm-hmm. So we so we all met. We all talked in the Zoom call and kind of realized that wow, we have a lot in common when it comes to the type of story you like to tell. So the moment we spoke, it was like, wow, okay, yeah, this is going to be a great game. I, we, I really can't wait. Um, then we like kind of split off and made our characters and then came back together again to talk about what we've made and realized like our characters kind of <laughs> fit perfectly together. <laughs> so when we realized that, we're like, hey, we might just role play a little bit right now to set the scene and figure out how we meet, what our yeah. relationship is before stream. So yeah, we kind of just... Let's, jumped into it. And like, you had so much fun that you were like, let's do another one. Let's keep this session yeah. going. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So when so all right, two questions. First one, these are people you have not played with before or met before. Was yeah. so was that hard for you? No, because um this so I've only this campaign started like two weeks ago. So I'd already had the experience of playing with people I've never met because I've been on a bunch of other streams. Well, that's true. Like that's kind of how you yeah. started D D. Yeah. Okay. Um, but these people in particular, it, I wasn't, I feel like if I hadn't had that session zero, I probably would have been a bit nervous and awkward. Yeah. But because um, of the first one where we just talked to each other like casual people, we just kind of realized like we actually like each other <laughs> a lot. We just like hanging out. So That's it just good. made role playing so much easier to just kind of dive into. It really does. Like it's from, it's very, I, I get really awkward if I'm playing with people I've, I don't know or people I've never played with before because... I, I mean, some people are really, really into role playing and some people talk about their character in third person. Like it doesn't, there's no wrong way, but yeah. I always, I, I don't know, I just get a little nervous if you don't, if you don't expect, and then like to put the stream on top of it, like yeah. get it. But there's people I watching. I was definitely, quietly in my own home. Yeah. Like I definitely, when I started off, so I was in a, like in the streaming realm, I started off in a bunch of one shots and I definitely was very nervous because I'd never met any of the people I was playing with. And because of that, I would play the shy, quiet character yeah. so I could get away with it because I am quite literally very shy and very nervous because I don't know any of you guys. <laughs> but um, after a while, I realized like, hey, we're, we're just here to play. There's no reason to be nervous. At the worst case scenario, I might not like their character, but they seem like good people at the very least <laughs> outside yeah. of, out, out of character. So I kind of slowly but surely kind of managed to at least hide my anxiousness. <laughs> Very well. Yeah. And be able to role play someone who's more charismatic in some cases. Have okay, question for both of you. Have you ever not liked a character and either just like dealt with it what or didn't? Or did you like role play that like your character did not like that character? Because sometimes characters can be really yeah. annoying. Yeah. Um <laughs> Not the people, not the player. Oh, yeah, not character. the players, but characters. Yeah. Yeah, I have. Um, I won't say no. who. <laughs> <Just in case. laughs> but I have. Yeah. Um, I would... Luckily, I was playing a character who was kind of grumpy and passive-aggressive anyway. So oh, that's I got, good. I got, <laughs> I got away with not liking them in character as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's good. Uh, yeah, I've I've definitely had that uh, experience 
not only for the character but also for the player. Uh, you know, just, just because of and it was a conflict of style. Like there are some people mm. who really enjoy the kind of tactical min maxing nature of the game, and sometimes when um, I'm in a situation where the the player that's all they're focused on, they don't give any other time to any other facet. That's where yeah. uh, my guff gets up. Um, and yeah. it can be very hard to give that those clues in a way that doesn't um, just feel like you're being a jerk, right? And so what yeah. I've always followed back on is, you know, similar to what Drax said, use the in-character, right? Like, have your the character that you're playing is also annoyed with, you know, the other person slowing down the game or, or you know, asking too many questions about what's happening because you're like, we're in the middle of battle. There's no time to ask those questions. We got to go fight, right? And like, you know, kind <laughs> yeah. of create the tension or alleviate the tension that way. Uh, I find really fun because it, it's more role-playing, which is what we all want to do. Yeah. yeah. I, the, I've been super annoyed by... Um, Usually by Bart's characters. I'm not <laughs> Bart, Bart is my husband. Um, is it because of the asthma? It's my asthma. I can't, I can't possibly run into battle. Oh, come on. He had his little Kenku annoying thing. And he, he just was, he was annoying. And like he would just like run into a room and he would be like, is that a bookshelf? Oh, I'm just going to topple it. Oh, I'm like, no. Why? Why? Like, why are you even, like, now you're making noise and you're alerting people to the fact. So we, our whole player dynamic was like, my character just couldn't stand his character, which made him decide that his character loved my character and just like followed me everywhere. So like, I couldn't even shake him, couldn't even shake him in fantasy life. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I I very much like those kind of dynamics when it's planned. Yes, so like when it, when they come to me like, "Hey, can I play a character that we we just don't get along?" Yes, like, yeah, yeah. But I do understand when it's like just out of nowhere, like, "Oh no, oh, I yeah. don't like you." Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like you do need to have permission to like play that type of of relationship. We we had we had fun with it, and we certainly didn't want to annoy the rest of the group yeah. with this strange dynamic, but. Mm-hmm. I think, oh, looking back, we probably were working some stuff out in that game. <laughs> <laughs> I know. As you're describing it, I'm like, ooh, geez. <laughs> Actually, I don't even think we were dating at the time. I think we were just friends. Oh. Yeah. So that's yeah. like, uh, that's, yeah, it's even more that was like That was like prescient. Like, yeah. Shelly, this is your future. Stop. Don't <laughs> Get do away it. from the Kenku. Right. <laughs> That's why it took an extra year or two before you started dating. It was because of that role-playing <laughs> experience you guys had. Yep, probably. Oh, man, that's super fun. Yeah, no, it's a weird thing. Uh, I think there, you know, you could have gone the other way. If you've had uh, people who are uh, dating or in a relationship, um, their characters can sometimes have too much of a bond uh, at the table. Oh. So I think, okay. I think you went the other way. I think it's a lot more fun to have that kind of... It's almost like a sitcom thing when you have two characters who... Uh, like to disagree with each other, I think that can add a really fun dynamic to a, a campaign and always has this comic relief kind of thing going on. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's tons I of definitely things. like, it's one of the tropes that if anyone offers or doesn't offer, I usually, I'm usually the one that offers, but if someone does offer, I usually just take it out straight away because I just love, I personally love the trope because one, I'm an older brother, so I'm very good at being um, annoyed with, <laughs> with someone. <laughs> I'm very good at it. I've got a lot of experience with that. <laughs> also, just, I feel like, being able to 
even out, even out, out, um, out of character, we're just friends. Being able to like annoy each other and still like each other is kind of like a sign of a pretty good relationship and friendship. Yeah, yeah. And that is, I'm just kind of like a big fan of that. I like that too. Does your uh, younger siblings play D and D? No, but I'm trying to get them into it. <laughs> I will eventually. I'm pretty sure I will. I got my sister watching some D and D campaigns recently. Okay. So like, hopefully, she's gonna try playing as well. Yeah, when you were saying that you uh, started watching, what were some of the things that you, uh, you know, what were some of the streams that you enjoyed? Um, so I, my first um, like stream I watched wasn't actually D and D; it was a cipher cipher game. Oh, cool. um, it was Eric Campbell's Callisto Six. Um, it was a superhero campaign, basically, and I'm a big superhero fan as well. <laughs> so when I watched, I was like, "Whoa, I can pretend to be a superhero." That's pretty yes, cool. please. <laughs> so yeah, I that kind of I watched that and kind of just dived into it. Um, then I realized like there are other systems that I can watch and other campaigns I can watch. So um, I kind of started watching. And the next thing I watched was um, um, Ivan Ivan's Foreververse mm. was another one I watched where he just kind of it was a bunch of plays kind of jumping through different realities. Um, and then I started watching. Um, oh, can I remember the name? High Rollers. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Mark, yeah. Mark Humes. Yeah. Um, I kind of fell out of it recently because I've just been in either streaming or sleep some of that time. But yeah, I, that, that was my... High Rollers were the first D&D um, game I started watching, but Cypher um, Callisto 6 was the first um, TTRPG in general I started watching. And yeah, I just kind of got hooked. It was the thing I started watching consistently. <laughs> My YouTube feed and my Twitch feed slowly became less gameplay, which I usually I usually just used to watch a lot of gameplays and game and playthroughs. Mm-hmm. Just slowly began began take, being taken over by actual play, actual plays, actual play podcasts and stuff like that. We've heard that from a lot of people that like as soon as you get like that taste, you just that's all you want to have going on in your background. Uh, so yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, and then yeah, that transition too of having. Oh, I like to consume this. Now I'm going to start making it, and then psh, all of a sudden your schedule can get very full. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially when you're in live in another country, and most of the games you're playing in are American time. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, My so, whole yeah. sleep schedule has been shifted completely. Oh, I bet. To, like, yeah. I'm a sen- I wake up my time six p.m. Oh, what? Sleep- yeah, <laughs> I usually fall asleep around twelve p.m. My time. Um, yeah, that's wow. great. <laughs> First of all, six hours of sleep is not enough. I don't care. Yeah, I take what a lot time of naps, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I take a lot of naps. I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great sleep schedule. I, I mean, I think when I was in the university or or you know close to your age, that was pretty much my schedule as well. Six. <laughs> yeah. yeah, noon to you know right. Yeah, wake. Yeah. Uh, go to luckily, sleep. Again. Luckily, I'm online. I'm studying online, so I can just wake up whenever I want and just watch the video of the lecture I missed and <laughs> learn from there. <laughs> so I'm not really tied to a schedule right now because um, COVID. Yeah, <laughs> we really are in the future. You got to find the silver linings where you can. Yeah. So uh, one thing that's been really exciting for you know people who are Dungeons and Dragons fans in uh, in North America is seeing everybody all over the world start taking up and play it. You know, it's traditionally been a very American pastime. You know, since it's been around, for, there's other properties and 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 D and D things in, or you know D and D related properties uh, in other parts of the world that have been uh, the focus, like Games Workshop and things like that. So now we're seeing a lot more D and D play. Uh, happen in in the UK in other countries yeah. in Europe and things like that. So, what can you um, 
what can you speak to on that? And like, how can you get more people uh, who may have, you know, they're, they're Doctor Who fans, but they're not necessarily D&D fans. Like, how do you get them involved in, um, you know, the kind of fandom that you're now ensconced in? Um, so I, so, well, I want to relate right directly to the Doctor Who thing. <laughs> literally a role-playing game for Doctor Who. There's a Doctor Who role-playing game. Right. Which is, I've never played it before. I've watched some gameplays of it and it's great. I mean, if that's your, like, that's another example of just jumping into a world that you know really well already. Like, it's, it's fun. You can do whatever you want, especially in Doctor Who. <laughs> um, you can do pretty much whatever you want and just say, oh, it's wibbly, wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, <laughs> and I think, yes, I think, um, just people in the UK jump into it. There's so many different TTRPGs and there's so many different like, um, like D&D modules and like homebrews that you can, if you like, if you really just know D&D really well, there's nothing wrong with just sticking to that and just shaping it to a world that you really understand and know and just jump into it. Because um, the thing, what I noticed um, recently, now that I have podcasts from like American D&D players and British D&D players is our play style is very different as well. <laughs> so, oh, really? Like our sense of humor is very different. Yeah, oh, well, that's so, true. That for sure, yes. Yeah, for sure, yeah. But yeah, there's a, I think American um, play style seems a lot more cinematic, especially in the descriptions. Hmm. Um, they always, like a lot of the actual plays I listen to literally, quite literally say, we pan in on this, we fade in on this. Um, and whereas British seems more like they're reading from a book, which isn't bad, it's actually still really interesting and it's a really cool way but it is a definitely a difference i noticed and i think to any british people watching who wants to try out dnd or table to role playing games in general you don't need to be like the big american role players you don't need to describe your scenes or play like them you can just play like we do just play like us and it'll be just as good just as fun hmm. do you yeah. think that's like a like a, a barrier that some uh uk players might face is like oh i don't like too much role play or too like when you were saying like you don't have to role play like the big american role players you think yeah, that's like um, a, something that would turn them off from the game um it definitely turned me off for a bit because okay. everyone i haven't um a lot of people like critical role is the one guys critical role i'm like oh is this how you play dnd i don't know if i could do this this seems a bit <laughs> a bit too much for me um See, I, I think it is not for many people, not for everyone, but I think for a decent, decent amount, it might be an obstacle that people kind of, whether it's subconscious or consciously face, they think like, I don't know if I can do this. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah, true of other, that honestly, that's true of a lot of American uh, watching Critical Role. They're like, oh man, I mean, nobody can recreate A, that friend dynamic, as well as um, okay, yeah. the fact that they're all talented voice actors too. So you're like, oh geez, it's like three steps beyond uh, your ability. But I think one thing that you said uh, that I'd love to highlight is like play to the style that you want, right? Play to yeah. the style yeah. of your friends and everybody that is, 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 makes the most sense to you know, the cultural sensibilities of, say, the UK or just you know, that your specific friend group. Like, you know, there's no, you don't need to try to emulate other people unless you want to try to emulate uh, something. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, so I'm, what is the... Um, the friends who roll dice. <laughs> um, so it's a TTRPG Twitch channel that I'm one of the co-founders of. Oh, of um, course. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but when I get into something, I get into it hard. <laughs> I feel we're, like I know that. Yeah, we're figuring that out. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, it, it was 
it kind of just happened. Um, I wrote, I played in a one shot um, on another Twitch channel called Other Doc. Um, that's the Twitch channel's name, and I, it was the game was called Medical Bay Three, where it was just like it was just like a like a hospital soap drama, but in space. Ooh, that <laughs> cool. sounds yeah. interesting. Yeah, and um, I was playing with a friend, um, a friend now. I didn't, I didn't know them then. We we just just met in that game, but um, they're really close friends now. Um, Jen, and they kind of, they just kind of liked me. <laughs> they were like, I really enjoy role playing. Do you, do you want to join this um, role playing channel? And I was like, Yeah, sure, okay. Um, I joined it, role played a little bit, a few one shots, and then afterwards we were like, This is fun, but what if we made our own channel? <laughs> so I was like. Yeah, I'll, let's do it. Let's make a um, channel and just call it Friends Roll Dice and just play a bunch of games with friends. <laughs> I love it. I love the name. Yeah. Like that just kind of embodies D&D. Yeah, and actually it came up because um, we play a lot of games where we end up crying. It's very emotional. Oh. And um, <laughs> and one of the, and we were just, uh, everyone was trying to figure out a name to come up with and we just couldn't decide on one. And it, it became, to. It, reached a point where it seemed a bit like tensions were building between us because we were kind of arguing and everything. And one of my our friends, um, um, their name is Cole, they just like, just nonchalantly just was like, let's call ourselves friends who roll dice and cry. <laughs> and we were like, wait a second, wait. Hmm. Let's drop the cry part. I kind of like the, the other half. And yeah, we just kind of went with that. <laughs> I actually like the whole thing. I think <laughs> to roll yeah. dice and cry yeah. is actually, uh, you know, my favorite title I've heard so far. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, I could see you. Be, you could be a part of that. People who watch movies and cry. I do. I cry at a lot of movies. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Man. I'm right there with you. Especially anything that has, I mean, because I have daughters, so anything that has like anything about, uh, you know, little girls coming of age and, uh, you know, all that stuff, just immediately tears yeah. everywhere. I'm right there. I have three <laughs> younger sisters, so yeah, yeah, I'm right there. Oh, you guys. So yeah, let's roll dice and cry <laughs> together. You guys should have your own, you can have your own it. channel and add the cry back on. <laughs> you know what? We're just, me and Drac are going to take over Drac and yep. Talk. Uh, it'll just be... There yeah, you go. The Drac and Talk and Cry. cry. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. I love it. I have... Things I have like what, two hours free in my week. I'm done. <laughs> oh, you, you got to fill that up. You did say you can't say no. So uh, yeah. they, we're okay. in. We're in. That's awesome. Um, uh, yeah. Okay, but you guys also use this channel to raise money for charity. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. We, we figured like if we quite literally have friends in our name, so we might as well be friends to everyone we can be. <laughs> so we decided raising money for charities. Um, the first thing we did was for the Black Lives Matter movement and Trevor Project. Oh, and nice. it was it exploded. <laughs> um, we thought we were going to raise four hundred dollars. Um, we wow. raised, I think, I think one thousand in wow. the end. So we were like, we, when we did that, we we're like, wow, this actually, we should just keep doing this as much as we can. <laughs> so yeah, every time we thought of a cause, every time we had time to prepare, and um, we just did a charity stream and raised money for different charities. And like right now, um, I don't know if it'll be for the October. And we're raising money for the Rain Network and um, the Earth Day Network. Oh, that's awesome! Because we figured, like, Rain, um, Rain, because right now we're kind of stuck indoors. So the Rain Network is, um, I believe, it's um, the Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network. So basically, a hotline for people who are going through that kind of stuff to talk to and get resources. 
And we figured that would be really important, especially now, because a lot of people are kind of trapped in at home, yeah. mm-hmm. which isn't really a safe place for everyone. Right. So have um, raised the money for that kind of cause, helping people who quite literally have no choice but to stay at home. Um, it was just a good cause. And Earth Day, we kind of... We kind of crammed that in. <laughs> it happened. We were like, there are wildfires right now in going on. And it's kind of brought up the concern of global warming. Mm-hmm. So people are actually thinking about that now. So maybe we can just kind of shove that into the cause of raising money for as well. So yeah. So we just thought, yeah, we might as well raise money. So we got, we've, we've been um, running one shots throughout the month of October. Every Tuesday, um, every Tuesday and Friday just an indie one-shot of an indie TTRPG game because it was we like using charity events to highlight um, people, indie creators, really. People who like don't have tons of writers um, backing them when they're um, writing TTRPGs. And um, yeah, so we, we've just got... We've raised a decent amount of money. I think we've raised about $600, $700 right now. And we still got um, a Friday stream going on. Gonna, that's going to happen and a big 13 hour stream that we're going to be doing on November the 1st yeah nice <laughs> wow yeah it's going to have a bunch of we've got some really cool special guests coming in um, got, we've got a Bria Iyengar who's going to be playing oh, which you oh, always got on. Yes. yeah so yeah, yeah I'm really looking forward to it it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun and hopefully you're going to raise even more money for a good cause yeah yeah I feel like you, I mean, in the year or so that you've been playing, <laughs> uh, you know, TRPGs and D&D, not only have, has it done like an amazing thing to help you and, and you know, get over the social anxiety, as we said, as well as just meet a whole bunch of new people and, and, and a new community, but then you're giving back to that same community with all of yeah. the things you're doing. I mean, what a great, what a great story, you know, in the last year, right? Yeah, it's at least... Also, I will admit there's a little bit, little bit of selfishness in there as well. I want to play every teacher RPG I can, yeah. every system I can. So being able to, <laughs> being able to get into this and um, organize these charity events and then get to pick what games we play, I'm like, hey, I kind of like this idea. Can I play? Can I put my name in this game, please? <laughs> Achievement <laughs> unlocked. Piece? I'll just be able to do yeah. all of the all of the games <laughs> at the same yeah. time. I love that. Uh, and uh, we're running out of time. I definitely want to ask more about the Tales from the Loop um, uh, RPG because uh, I've been yeah. watching, well, I've only seen like one or two episodes of the show that's on, uh, that's on Amazon, but I'm intrigued about what, uh, what that's all about. It was, it was really fun. So um, I played on uh, Rule of Law's channel. So um, Law, that's L-O-R-E. Um, they kind of reached out to me. Um, the GM of that game, Caitlin, reached out to him and was like, hey, you played on our, in our campaign this one time and it was great. Can you come back, please, for this miniseries? <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Because <laughs> I've, I've been a big fan of Tales from the, um, Tales from the Loop. I, watched, I, watched, I haven't watched all of it, but I watched some of the series as well. Yeah. And I'd also, again, watched some gameplay, some, act, um, some actual plays of it. And it just seemed like the weirdest world, like absolutely insane. I was like, I need to play this. I need to, yeah. So I just, again, played... Uh, kind of, uh, I played a, a very happy-go-lucky character. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in a uh, dark, uh, dystopian sci-fi universe. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I've just got, again, loving parents. Uh, <laughs> I have I have a brand, guys. <laughs> I <have a> <laughs> this is the best brand ever. I love it. I know, yeah. right? I need to. Uh, well, that's fantastic. Uh, I think... You know, a lot more of Dungeons and Dragons players out there would, uh, you know, not not only benefit from playing a lot more D and D, 
But playing different systems out there and seeing what's available in different types of storytelling, I think that's uh, really wise. You know, same mm-hmm. as you know, if people want to be good uh, writers or storytellers, they have to consume a lot of different you know books yeah. and TV and movies, and that just enriches your the tapestry of inspiration that you've got in everybody's individual head. And uh, you're you know you're well on your way in doing that. Already a year in, you yeah. probably played more. <laughs> Different TRPGs, uh, honestly, that I have in the last (laughs) 20 years, in the last year. So kudos to you. I mean, literally at the beginning of this year, I was like, 2020, what am I going to do? I want to, and my New Year's resolution was to play, um, (laughs) reach double digits with how many different TRPG systems I played. And I have, yeah. (laughs) I've hit double double digits. Oh, I'm still going strong. So it's your fault that we're all quarantined because you made that (laughs) you made that wish back then. And they're like, well, the only way the universe can can help that is if everybody's stuck in their house. My New Year's resolution was to I just wanted to spend more time at home. Maybe learn how to bake bread. (laughs) (laughs) It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Accomplished. Accomplished. Yeah, it's probably the only New Year's resolution I've ever. Ever kept. Ever kept. <laughs> Honestly, same me too. <laughs> uh, well, you are awesome, Drac. Thanks so much for for coming on and, and talking through all of this with you. It's a, you know, it's no wonder that so many people are inviting you to be part of your game because you really are a nice, you know, just presence to that, have uh, on, nice, on a, on a Zoom nice call. That nice backstory. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I have a feeling we'll be seeing you popping up in a lot more streams. Not just because you can't say no to anything, but but because <laughs> largely are, because, but yeah, and that, but people are going to awesome. So, see how can people you know find out all the characters. yeah? How can people find out all the things that you're doing and uh, you know follow mm-hmm. along with you? Yeah, you can just follow me on Twitter. I'm always tweeting about what I'm up to. So that's um, you can follow me at Draconics. That's D R A K O N I Q U E S. Um, Really weird spelling because the normal spelling of it was taken. <laughs> so I had to think of something creative to go with. Um, which apparently is the, the French pronunciation, dra- Draconiques. I had to mm. say Draconics. I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, I just go by Draconic or Drac. Um, but yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, you can follow Friends Roll Dice on Twitter as well, which is just Friends Roll Dice because can't have enough let there's not enough space for the who so we're just going to cut that out <laughs> um, um but yeah um i'm probably going to end up on on a stream that you're watching as well so that's also going to be a thing very so. cool yeah awesome well thanks again and uh look forward to seeing your face pop up uh all over the place now go get some sleep yeah go get some you're not, you're not sleeping at all yeah <laughs> <laughs> probably gonna nap right after this actually yeah. <laughs> Oh man, now I want a nap too. I know, it sounds awesome. <laughs> Alright, I'm gonna roll for a nap. God, yes, I got nine points of nap damage. <laughs> <laughs> nap damage? I don't know if that's what you want while you're napping. <laughs> Maybe I healed Healing. I healed psychic yes. damage. Okay. That's a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> nap damage. Oh, uh, once again inspired by new people getting into Dungeons and Dragons. Drac is amazing. I know, just the passion, the enthusiasm. Oh, it makes me just fall in love with D&D all over again. It's true, right? Yes. Uh, yes. And so if you are feeling that right now, there's a couple of ways that you can get into the D&D. Uh, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com, of course. Follow on the social medias with Wizards underscore D&D on Twitter. Like us on the Facebooks, on the Instagrams. We have a D&D Discord that is official where you can meet up with other folks. You can even jump into playing a game uh, using a service we call the Yawning Portal to meet up with like-minded folks. There's an Adventurer's League um, 
contingent on there doing weekend play. And so if you are, again, by yourself during this holiday season, you can find people to play with online all over the world. And we encourage you to do so because it is a great way to keep your mind going as well as uh, maybe slay some monsters. Stay connected. uh, And stay connected. I like all that. Me too. You can follow me. I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter or Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Um, I'm doing a Star Trek rewatch podcast uh, for Star Trek The Next Generation. If you want to take a listen to that, it's at reengagedtng on Twitter. Um, or you can just search for reengage on your podcasts out there. Um, and as well, Shelly, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Shelly Moo. Shelly Moo. Please do. When are you starting up your podcast? I don't know. I'm, I, I, I need to do that. You should watch yeah. a Star Trek episode and I'll get you on as a guest. Okay. Okay. What it, you know, it could be interesting, an interesting angle for, um, to have somebody who's never, I know. Well, that's one of the things I'm doing with my kids. They're watching it for the first time because I was their age when oh Next Generation premiered. So it's nice to get their perspective. It's been super so it fun. holds up. Like kids are are into it. Yeah, at least my kids. My kids are cool. Yeah, they are cool. <laughs> they they go outside. <laughs> they go outside when I ask. Exactly. Uh, they don't actually. It's it's they're they're mostly destroyed now as the threat went. Uh, so. <laughs> Let us get to what is happening with Drunky Two Shoes. You are on a boat chasing down a uh, sailboat that you believe held your brother, Daryl Two Shoes. Yeah. Uh, You recently boarded that boat. There were six ruffians uh, aboard, uh, but none of them looked like a tabaxi. Yeah, but I said it was tabaxi day and i saw one of them their eyes look downward like that's right maybe into the cabin or something so what do you want to do what does drunky do now that she is on board and uh might get a hint being celebratory Mm -hmm. um so drunky points to the boat that she came from when all of all of the boxes and drunky says inside of those boxes is great great treasure and for Tabaxi Day, I will give you a box. This is like, let's make a deal. You get to choose a box. If somebody can produce a bobby pin or a Tabaxi. <laughs> Let me get this straight. You're offering the cargo from your boat. One of the boxes. I mean, I have a lot of ships to visit today on Tabaxi A bobby day. pin? Or a Tabaxi. Mostly a tabaxi. <laughs> uh, make me. Well, what's it? What's in the cargo? What are you? What are you trying to give oh, me? Oh, it's a surprise! You get to choose which box, but it's much. It's excellent treasure. You're going to love it. Hmm. Is it going to be worth more than trying to ransom a terrible tabaxi? <laughs> Tabaxis do not earn a lot of money on a ransom. Believe me. I that was my old side hustle. Ha. <laughs> I couldn't make a dime. You kidding me? Nobody wants a tabaxi. Roll me a persuasion check. Ten. With my bonus. Ten? Yeah. Okay. It's supposed. Mm, I also rolled a ten. He looks at you uh, and kind of makes some motions to his crewmates. Um, 
you know, kind of almost like looks like nods and he kind of puts his hand down to his uh, short sword at his side and says, I think this is highly irregular. I'm going to ask you to get off my boat. Drunk, he goes, which is a language that Daryl would probably recognize (laughs) if you were on the boat. All right. What language is that? Is it the language of tabaxi? Yeah. You know, like when a cat sees a bird out the window and they chortle like that? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'm guessing they would communicate with. (laughs) Okay. So everybody looks at at Drunky a bit strangely. She's still smiling, though, like, I am a friendly tabaxi. We'll pick it up there next time. As we'll see what happens. I will practice my chortling in the meantime. I love it. We shall see what happens with the ongoing adventures of Drunky and Daryl next week. Yes. I'm feeling good. Feeling confident. <laughs> <laughs>